everyone. Welcome to the Shelf Care Interview, an occasional conversation series where Booklist talks to book people. This Shelf Care Interview is sponsored by Sourcebooks. I'm Julia Smith, Books for Youth Senior Editor at Booklist, and today I'm talking to Chris Berry. Chris is calling in all the way from Australia, where he's an award-winning physicist, a mathematician, and popular author of science books for children, naturally. Today we'll be discussing his new picture book series, The Everyday Science Academy, the first four volumes of which come out in June from Sourcebooks. Thank you for joining me, Chris. Thank you for having me. Please tell us a little about your new series. So the new series is a little bit different than the older series in that it's more visual. So in the original series, we had more abstract concepts that I was trying to distill down into simple pictures and uh, sentences that parents and children could just kind of read and engage with together. And this one's a little bit more quick. It's a, a lot more visual. So it's words and pictures and kind of for a different audience that just wants to have a kind of a, a quick jump in, jump out, rather than kind of have to go through a whole story about some concept. Sure. What age group would you say this is ideal for? Well, I think since the, the pictures uh, are so bright, to be honest, I read textbooks to my kids from <laughs> age zero. So, <laughs> so I don't think there's really a I don't think there's a lowest age. These are very similar to uh, kind of first words books that you would find in shapes and, and numbers and, and letters and these sorts of things. So this can be read from, from age zero. But I think you'll get lots, you know, you'll get lots of, you'll get more questions and obviously more engagement from the child as they grow older. Whereas I think typical first words books, I think, you know, they have a lifetime that's quite short. My first shapes, for example, isn't going to last more than eight months to a year before you move right. on to something else. Whereas I think you can continually get something out of things that are more conceptual and you can build on the words and the images as the child gets older. Absolutely. What would you say inspires your writing? Uh, I think primarily it's my own kids. I, you know, I wouldn't even be aware of you know, children's books at all if I didn't have my own children. You know, I don't have a big extended family. And you know, as, as an academic, you don't really interact a lot with young people. And, you know, in, in our Western society, children are very rare. <laughs> Everyone's inside the house. No one, there's no kids in the streets. It's almost like a different world once you become a parent. So it was really my own children that, that inspired me to, to start writing these books. But after a while, you know, after interacting with kids at libraries and, and bookstores and events and seeing how excited they were about science and, you know, the way I was, I was conveying it in my books, it kind of really gave me the inspiration to, to continue. Speaking of libraries, um, how have they played a role in your reading or writing life? Personally? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it kind of, it's, you know, ebbed and flowed over the years. Uh, I certainly remember visiting the library a lot when I was, when I was a child, both at the school and in the public library in the, in the town that I grew up in. Uh, I would gravitate unsurprisingly to the nonfiction section. And, <laughs> you know, I remember picking out all sorts of books about dinosaurs and space and um, usually kind of like kids encyclopedia type things, lots of atlases and maps and things. Then uh, I think as an undergraduate student, I didn't spend a whole lot of time in the library. And 
then, you know, as a graduate student, it was, I was in the library for, for a different reason, um, looking at academic journals. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, I kind of, as I went through my postgraduate studies, was really the phase where journals are moved com- almost entirely online. So you could access the material online. So it's, unless you want some rare, rare volume, you don't need to visit the library to access academic journals anymore. But I'm always excited when I go, when I, when I visit the library, because, you know, as good as these recommendation algorithms are online, there's nothing like just finding something, a physical book in a library, just browsing the shelves and picking out books and, you know, flipping through them. Yeah. You you can't, you can't replicate that online. You really can't. When you're not writing, what is it that you like to read? Is it textbooks or do you? No, I read, um, I read kind of nonfiction, popular science books. Uh-huh. Um, the last book I read I just finished was Underworld by uh, Robert McFarlane, which was excellent. The next one on the list is, a, is an older book called Code by uh, Lawrence Lessig. So it's kind uh-huh. of, like, yeah, you know, it's, it's nonfiction, popular science. Every night, you, every night I'm reading completely different things to the kids. Right. What age range are your kids? So the oldest is 10. So she's, she's reading on her own. She will often be up all night um, <laughs> reading her books, mostly graphic novels. Occasionally she'll join the rest of the, the family to listen in. Then eight and six. And yeah, they like, so I was really surprised, but they like, even the ones that, you know, even when the six, my six-year-old couldn't read like when he was five. I thought it would be challenging to read graphic novels because they wouldn't really know what part of the story you're reading. But mm-hmm. it, it was actually surprisingly easy. If you just read, you don't have to point and, and, uh-huh. and, they, and they can follow along. It's, it was quite a surprise to me when, when I started doing that. But they really enjoy you know, even fairly complicated graphic novels um, like Amulet, for example. I was oh, reading yeah. five-year-old and it's, it's very visual and they, you, know, you don't have to point to what speech bubble you're reading from they can follow along quite easily so we're, we do that and then and then we have a three-year-old and yeah she's all kind of all over the map um, <laughs> right that's great do you find that it's a challenge to break down sort of the more sophisticated science concepts for kids so I guess my my approach is not been kind of from the spirit of like a teacher or a lecturer in the sense that when you're in that mode, you're really thinking about what should I say? What should I have them do so that they pass a test later on? Mm -hmm. That's not the idea that I had with these books. And when you take away that sort of testing and, and kind of worrying about do they really understand kind of thing? How do I, how do I test their understanding? When you take all that away, you see that, that children, they're not stressed out about this, right? Like to them, it's just, it's just a book and every book is the same. You know, there's a book, it has pictures and someone's going to read it to me. That's great, right? Yeah. Um, and they don't tell you when they don't understand parts of a story, right? You know, I, mm-hmm. I, like I said, I read, you know, fairly complicated stories. You know, we read Harry Potter to a, to a three-year-old. She doesn't say, I don't, fo-, you know, I'm not following along the story. She doesn't complain about that. You know, she's just ex- excited that someone's reading to her. And in the same vein, you know, if there's something that's a little bit more complicated from the science perspective, for example, just last night, I was reading um, a kind of lift the flat book about space and uh, it's quite complex. Uh, I don't remember the title, but it was by U.S. Born. Um, oh, yeah. And you lift the flap and it says like, you know, at the center of, of every galaxy is a supermassive black hole. And she just says, well, wow, 
and then goes to the next flap, right? You don't have to worry so much about, did she really understand that? Is she going to pass a test now? Mm -hmm. um, it's a long process. You know, we have to remember that experts in this field do this for 15 years. And we're trying to slowly build up that ability to reason and think about things more, more abstractly, more conceptually. And this is a kind of a a slow gradual process and it's not clear that at any given step of the way you can test to see you know whether or not things are going as you expect you know what i mean yeah it's like it's like it's like a language it's like i think it's like a language right we talk to our children you know some people talk to their children before they're born but we don't we're not worried all the time about oh, do they understand this word you know mm -hmm. is, does that word have too many you know too many syllables we just we just talk to them the way we would normally talk to other people, perhaps with a more animated voice or with a higher pitch, but we use the same words and the same complex sentences. And we notice at the beginning, the children pick up a few sounds, pick up a few syllables and start to build up words. And the words are usually wrong or garbled <laughs> or, or, you know, slurred or, uh, but eventually they get there. Right? right. We don't try to teach children language by, you know, the basics. We don't, you know, say, we're not, I'm not going to start speaking to you in sentences until you learn these letter sounds, right? Yeah. We just speak sentences to them. And so that's the approach I would kind of was trying to take with my books, that I will just say it the way we say it in science. And mm -hmm. the, the children will pick this up. Yeah, it, it's like a, a friendly exposure. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I did want to take away all of the the jargon and the elements of it that you know, there's some elements of science, unfortunately, that are intended to make it sound like it's more complicated or more important, you know, because, you know, everyone has these fragile egos, so they want to make sure <laughs> that people understand that they're smart, so they use big words and fancy right. jargon. So I, de I definitely d did want to get rid of all of that and try to kind of find analogies and essential concepts and ideas without bringing in the specialized jargon or the things that make it seem more complicated than it is. Great. Well, it's a really cute series. You've got a little red kangaroo who hops through and kind of has the child's perspective in all the volumes with some, some great questions about how things work. And I really think that kids are going to like it. Um, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you to everyone for listening to the Shelf Care interview. This Shelf Care interview was sponsored by Sourcebooks, publisher of the Everyday Science Academy series, available June 1st. Happy reading! Happy reading!